seconds from game seven or from championship number six. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of After the Last Dance. I'm your host, Alex Wong, and for each episode, I will be joined by my co-host, Russ Bankson. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the Soul Savvy team for giving Russ and I this platform to chat about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Soul Savvy is a sneaker platform and community that provides you with the tools and resources you need to beat the bots to successfully purchase the products you want for retail. For more details, please check out soulsavvy.com. S-O-L-E-S-A-V-Y.com. So Russ, on this episode, I wanted us to dive into what happened to the Bulls, not just after the 1998 season and not just after the 1999 uh, shortened season, which we touched on on last week's episode when they went 13 and 37 and missed the playoffs in Tim Floyd's first year as head coach. Uh, scored 49 points against the Miami Heat. Um, I, I think you don't have literally nothing else to add to that season, so let's just move on. Um, I wanted us to touch on, because the Bulls did not go back to the playoffs until the 2004-2005 season. So Jerry Krause uh, was very adamant during the Bulls' last repeat that it was time to rebuild. And after they won their sixth championship in 98, the rebuild started. Um, so we touched on 99. So let's get into what happened after that season. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, to preface that a little bit, I just wanted to say it's it's kind of hilarious that the Bulls were so worried that they would end up following in the footsteps of the 80s Celtics. And the way it worked out, I mean, it ended up a million times worse than what happened to the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics obviously ran into problems with whether it was Kevin McHale and Larry Bird's careers ending relatively early due to injury, Len Bias and Reggie Lewis passing away. The Bulls, I mean, especially because it was self-inflicted, they lost everything at the same time. You lost all your best players and your coach. So, you know, it's funny to me that during the last dance, Jordan talked about guys like Kerr and Wennington coming in and acting like they were part of something they weren't. But they were still joining a Bulls team that had Scottie Pippen and was coached by Phil Jackson. The people who came in in 99, you had nothing. None of Phil Jackson's coaching legacy was left. Tony Kukoc and Ron Harper were the most prominent players remaining. There was literally nothing connecting the 99 Bulls to the 98 Bulls besides the uniforms. You know, it's... It's sad that it went the way it did, but it's almost not surprising. Yeah, I mean, unless you were a huge fan of Corey Benjamin, I'm not sure there's anyone on that 99 team which you could say was a potential piece um, that you could build around moving forward with, right? And, I mean, yeah. the only player I was thinking about is like Tony Kukoc, but you have to imagine at that time, and, and we'll get into Kukoc getting traded, like Kukoc was getting up there in years as well. I mean, look, a lot of kids were number seven. Alex, you might have forgotten that. But, uh, you know, I, I think what killed them the most is not only did they lose all their best players and the best coach of all time, but they lost an identity. They had no identity going into 99, you know, and that's where we pick up. You know, they, they their big pickup in that summer going into the lockout short in 99 season was signing Brent Barry to a six-year $27 million deal. And... Brent missed a bunch of games with injury that season and they traded him at the end of the year. You know, there was just, 
again, outside of Kukoc, Harp, winning to, you know, there was hardly any continuity. And that killed them. Yeah. And so, you know, they had that 13 and 37 season. And in the summer of 1999, heading into the following season, at the draft, uh, the Bulls had the first overall pick and the 16th pick in the first round, which they used to select Elton Brand and Ron Artest. And here's a quote from Elton Brand um, at the time. I believe this was either on draft night or close to um, after draft night. He said, quote, it's a lot of pressure playing for the Bulls with the heritage and the championships. I'm ready to take that challenge to go hard and fight and prove all the naysayers wrong. I think I will be remembered as the person who brought the Bulls back. So strong words from Elton Brand, stronger than Jordan's words, you know, when he was drafted in 84, you know, a couple things. Number one, I think the two things the Bulls wanted coming out of the 97, 98 season were a, a number one draft pick, a, certainly a high draft pick, in that summer of 99 and a ton of cap space in the summer of 2000, the bulls end up with both of those things. So, you know, up until the summer of 2000, I feel like all their plans were going the way they wanted them to. I think that's kind of important given that how terrible they were, they were still accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish in that time frame. They hired Tim Floyd as coach. They draft Elton brand. They get our test at 16, which is an incredible value and a great pick thanks to the Knicks drafting Frederick Weiss instead of the guy who played in their building. So, you know, they were in a good spot right there. Yeah, no, they were. And, you know, even Elton Brand, I mean, we'll get to the trade of him later. I mean, he was rookie of the year and he was the first Chicago Bull to average a 2010 since Artis Gilmore and Artes made all rookie second team. So you talked about some of these moves. So heading into the 99-2000 season, Ron Harper um, left and signed with the Lakers, reuniting with Phil Jackson, and he won two more titles there. Uh, Bill Wennington left. So basically we're starting to see the very end of, of the turnover of the last dance Bulls. And, and Tony Kukoc missed most of the season to injury and then was traded at the deadline for a draft pick that turned into Chris Mim. And you mentioned Brett Berry. He had signed that six-year, $27 million contract. Maybe you can talk about what happened to Brett Berry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, Brent was the guy to actually come in and be the Bulls starting two guard after Michael Jordan. You know, and for that, I think he probably deserved more than six years, $27 million. He plays out his one year with the Bulls, gets traded to Seattle for Hersey Hawkins, who at that point was, again, nearing the end of the road. And Brent became a key piece of that Supersonics team for a while. So, and got to play with actually Gary Payton for a bit in the backcourt. So, you know, that, that was a good, it worked out well for Brent. I don't think he would have been interested in spending the rest of his time dealing with the Tim Floyd era. The other interesting move though, for me, is that the Bulls end up bringing back Will Perdue and BJ Armstrong, both on one-year deals. Will Purdue, for the most money he'd received for a season in his NBA career, they signed him to $5.3 million, which is more than he made in his first entire six-year contract with the Bulls. The trick, the, the key to Purdue and Armstrong was they were both represented by Arn Tellum, who also represented a bunch of young guys who were going to be free agents in the summer of 2000. And it's hard to believe, especially given what we know about Jerry Krause, that he didn't sign those guys to those deals looking a year ahead. Yeah, and Fred Hoiberg 
also joined that team. Obviously, he would later become the head coach, and he had played with Tim Floyd at Iowa State. And I'm looking at some of the stats that you included in the notes here for us. It's hilarious because so they finished dead last in points. They didn't win their third game until January, and this is on a regular schedule now. We're back on an 82-game schedule, and they broke 100 points just five times. They were, they um, were I mean, wow. they were terrible. They were really, really bad. And they were still on the Jordan afterglow, though, because they were still first in the league in attendance. I mean, just imagine going to see that team every night and just knowing, like, how awful it was going to be. I mean, the, the Bulls were at the point where, and I had forgotten about this dude, they signed Dedrick Willoughby for the year, 25-year-old guard. He plays in 25 games, averages 20 minutes a night, gets a ton of playing time for his old coach because he played for Tim Floyd at Louisiana and at Iowa State and then never plays in the NBA again. That was, that was the sum total of his NBA career. 25 games with the putrid 99-2000 Bulls. Yeah, and as, as we saw in the last dance, I mean, towards the end of Michael's career, it was impossible to get tickets, to go to games. So, honestly, um, I don't blame uh, whether it's the locals or tourists coming into Chicago, you know, paying a, a nominal sum of money to just go take photos with the, with the banners in the background. But that's the um, thing, right? Like. Well, they were just raking money in. You know, you could, you could look at the payouts to Jordan being, and especially those last two years when he made $65 million in two seasons, you know, for the, for the money he brought in while he was playing. The afterglow was so long. Again, they, were, they had the second lowest payroll in the league in 99-2000, two years after Jordan left, and they were still first in attendance. I mean, the, the sheer profit machine of the Chicago Bulls lasted so far beyond their great seasons. Yeah. So the, the 99, 2000 season, um, based on some of the stats that you mentioned, you might figure that the team did not win a lot of games. They didn't, they finished 17 and 65, which brings us into the summer of 2000, which for those that don't remember, the, it was a huge summer of, marquee free agents, including Tim Duncan, who, mind you, had just won a championship two seasons. I guess it would have been a, a season had passed since he won that championship in that shortened season. Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill. Um, Jamal. Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill. Who, who else was on that list? I think there were a few other names, Russ. Well, Tim Thomas was a free agent. You know, obviously, Jermaine O'Neal was talked about a lot mm -hmm. as a guy who was mm -hmm. Still under contract in Portland, but clearly wanted more playing time and wasn't getting it. I think the shorthand way to look at the summer of 2000 for the Bulls is basically it was the summer of 2010 for the Knicks. You know, this is what you cleared out all this cap space for. This is why the Bulls didn't pay anyone in 98-99 or 99-2000 and cleared as much space off the books as possible. That Will Purdue $5.3 million contract disappeared. Hersey Hawkins was waived. They just wanted to have max slots. And the idea was to sign two guys to max contracts. Now, that at least is what was floated. And, you know, Sam Smith, who was writing for the Chicago Tribune at the time and clearly had his finger on the pulse to a degree of the team and clearly had a lot of sources, he had Tracy McGrady to the Bulls as basically a done deal. He was looking at it as the Bulls were going to make a deal with Portland using either the four or the seven or both picks 
to bring back Jermaine O'Neal and then use Jermaine O'Neal to get Tracy McGrady to sign on to be part of this young core. And Tim Thomas, apparently, who was going to sign alongside McGrady. So you would have had a core of Elton Brand, Jermaine O'Neal, Tracy McGrady, Tim Thomas. And, you know, the Bulls had obviously done pretty well with a team built of young, flexible, athletic dudes. That was being looked at as this is the turnaround and this is going to turn around fast. And it sure didn't. Yeah, I think the Knicks comparison is perfect. So uh, Tim Duncan uh, did flirt with the idea of going to Orlando, but ended up going back to the Spurs. Uh, T-Mac and Grant Hill ended up with the Magic. And uh, here's what the Bulls ended up with. Um, they, they got Brad Miller and Ron Mercer. And then with uh, their draft picks, they drafted Marcus Pfizer and traded Chris Mim to get Jamal Crawford. Um, I mean, I think it goes without saying, that had to be hugely disappointing at the time when you think about how they had the number one pick and got our test with the number 16 pick and then went into this summer with the cap room and the two first round draft picks to come out of it with the core group that they had, you know, that really, you know, set them back at the time. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, that was the summer to do it. There wasn't going to be another summer like that for a while. And, you know, you, put everything towards this summer working. And then, I mean, we've heard more recently that apparently they lowballed guys. And I don't know. I I feel like that was just sort of Jerry Reinsdorf's MO. And I think some of it also was Krause's sort of hubris that people would just want to join the Bulls because they were the Bulls. And to me, I, I think you could look at it as the Bulls being an attractive destination. Hey, you know, like we've won these titles. We already have a a great fan base. Yes, but the point is you still offer max contracts to max players. There there was a Peter Vesey column from the time that I didn't quite remember that apparently they lowballed Austin Crozier. As it turns out, maybe that wasn't the worst idea. But if you're going to go into that summer and as a Bulls fan at the time, I mean – you have to come out with one of those guys. And Duncan, I think, was a long shot from the beginning. I mean, there was a a chance he would have gone to Orlando, but you had to really sell these guys. I mean, if Tracy McGrady's your guy, give him the max. You literally just came off a season where you were paying nothing and still had the number one attendance in the league. Like, the money was there. And the fan base was there. And... You had the luxury of being completely awful for two straight seasons and not losing your fan base. If you could bring in a successful team at that point, you're back on top in every possible sense. But if you stay terrible for even more seasons, it's only going to be harder to build back. You know, I, I think, and we'll get to this too, like Jerry Krause ends up resigning a couple seasons later. But but I think 2000 was the end for him. I really think so. Because that was the proof to me that organizations don't win championships. And even if they do to a degree, they're in it. The organization's in a distant third behind the players and the coaches, you know, because I really think like he went into that summer thinking like, we're the bulls. We're going to get whoever we want. And everyone else is going to have to like take the scraps. And by the end of that summer, 
and you're signing Ron Mercer to a long-term contract just to have someone, you know, they, they had a worse summer than the Knicks did in 2010. That's the really scary part. Love, yeah, I, mean, I, I love Ron Mercer and everything, but he's, he wasn't Amari, Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point about the miscalculation that, you know, Jerry Krause and probably Jerry Reinsdorf has to take responsibility for this is, you know, just, you know, the cachet of the organization and, you know, basking in the glow of, you know, what happened with the Bulls and thinking that it would be an honor for these players to put on a Bulls uniform to the point where they would be willing to take a pay cut. Uh, one other thing, and, and, you know, I'm definitely not taking away from the fact that what the organization did in terms of the lowballing uh, probably played a huge role in, in putting off these players and sending them off to different places. Um, I'm sure you remember at the time, too. I mean, the next guy that was going to come in and, and be the star guy for the Bulls was going to be uh, under a lot of pressure because this was immediately after uh, Jordan had retired and, you know, someone was going to come in and fill that, that role. I'm wondering if that played up to, you know, maybe not with the, with the big free agents, but certain free agents um, not wanting to be in that position. I think, you know, and I'm not sure who knows what the internal discussions were, but to me, looking at it from the outside, I, mean, I, I think the Bulls had a lot to overcome in attracting free agents. You know, if anything, they should have offered even more money if possible because Chicago, you know, Chicago is basically Minnesota with a better winning tradition. And I know that NBA players have no need to live in a city during the off season if they don't want to. And, you know, that shouldn't be a be-all, end-all. But if I'm Tracy McGrady and I'm like 21 years old or 20 years old and I'm coming out of Toronto and their own winters and I'm looking at Chicago or Orlando, which also has no state income tax, you're going to really have to sell me on Chicago. And you're going to really have to come with an over-the-top offer. And that's going to be not only giving me freedom to run the offense, which clearly he would have gotten in Chicago. I mean, I think he would have gotten the same freedom in Chicago that he did in Orlando. But you're going to have to do a lot to overcome the fact that it's going to be like negative 15 and 60 mile an hour winds for two months every every winter. Yeah. So after that hugely disappointing summer in the 2000 and 2001 season, uh, the Bulls uh, set a franchise worse with a 15 and 67 record. Alton Brand averages a 20 and 10 again. Ron Mercer, their big free agency signing, actually does pretty well. Plays 41.6 minutes a night. Uh, wow, was Tom Thibodeau there already? Um, and um, averages 19 <laughs> like points. 48.6 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and averaged um, pretty much 20 points a game. Again, the Bulls are terrible. 29th in offensive rating, 27th in defensive rating, last in points per game. But hey, look, they, they broke 100 points 11 times, though. Yeah, um, at, least, at least some of those times <laughs> were in overtime games. There were overtime games when they didn't break 100. And, you know, I, I was looking at their at the, the schedule and results and shout out to basketball reference and this game against the jazz jumps out and the jazz must've just loved playing the bulls in the post Jordan era. It's like, we lost to them twice in the finals and now we're going to get payback every time we face them. They beat the jazz. I mean, the jazz beat the bulls one Oh nine to 64. The bulls, I think scored I want to say 18 points in the first quarter, and that was the highest scoring quarter of the game. And they shot 27% from the floor for the game. I mean, 
this, and this is going into the third straight season of being awful. And it's not just being awful. And, and I think, you know, some of this obviously is hindsight, but even at the time, you're going into the third season of the Bulls having no identity at all. None. I mean, and, and that's, what, that's what really killed them too, is that, you know, you look at someone like the Spurs, and over their whole championship run, and, you know, you had Greg Popovich, you had Tim Duncan. I mean, the team just had an identity and, and a through line through the whole thing. And, like, if you ask me now, if you ask me then, like, what was Tim Floyd's, like, approach? Apparently not score 100. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think it's funny that Jerry Krause obviously spent all this time recruiting uh, to get Tim Floyd. And then you, you had sent me something earlier this week actually that he had been recruiting him way back he was trying to bring him on the team in the 1980s right yeah 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 Krause Krause apparently was a Tim Floyd fan from the beginning and it could have gone Collins straight to Floyd instead of to Phil Jackson but uh apparently Tim Floyd wasn't really into it and as it turned out probably for the best I don't know if Tim Floyd wins six titles with Michael Jordan who knows yes. if Michael Jordan stays a bull <laughs> so basically what you're saying there's there won't be a 10-part documentary series on these subsequent seasons? Lord, I, God, I hope not. Although, I mean, honestly, like, some of that could be even more interesting. Because, uh, <laughs> like, even just some of these off-seasons, you know, like, so they go into the 2001 off-season, and it's like, your rebuild has gone nowhere. You've won, like, what, 40 games over the past three seasons combined? 45. Come on, Russ. Give them All credit. Right, my bad. You know, and, and this is when, like, this is the high schooler draft and the number one overall pick goes to Washington and their GM, Michael Jordan. So if Jerry Krause is really going to try and make a splash, like you, I'm sure he'd really love to do it with MJ holding the first pick. I mean, that's when it became personal for Jerry Krause <laughs> and the Bulls had, I believe, and I'm not looking right at they They had the fourth pick, right? Yep, they had the fourth pick, and this is where they do their second quote-unquote rebuild, I guess, trading Elton Brand for the second overall pick. Which is, which is, this is not hindsight. Even at the time, this was absolutely insane. You're going to build your team around two big men who the previous season were in high school. So you get Tyson were, Chandler yeah. and Eddie Curry. And... Literally by doing nothing, you could have paired Eddie Curry with Elton Brand, who went to Duke, won Rookie of the Year, was already having a pretty good career and could have at least served as some sort of mentor instead of having these two guys who haven't played a single game in the pros or in college and expect them to figure it out under Tim Floyd. And, you know, I, I think the, the most cosmic joke of it was those guys choosing to wear two and three so you have jordan's number split in two on two high school kids eddie curry wearing two tyson chandler wearing number three as it turns out chandler ends up being a really solid nba player for a long time just not yeah. with the Bulls. I'm with you, though. You know, I remember hearing this at the time, and, you know, it just felt like, again, Jerry Krause had a very specific vision 
of you know who he wanted to to rebuild with and like you mentioned doing this was basically going to set their rebuild back you know the two of them being high schoolers it was going to take i mean not even exaggerating what like four years for them to to really figure things out um and you knew what you were you had in, in elton brand and i mean just looking at the draft it's hindsight now if they didn't draft eddie curry at number four you know they could have just taken maybe Jason Richardson or Joe Johnson and just paired him with um, Elton Brand. You know, that Mike, could have been... Was it Mike Miller who went fifth? Yeah. I think he went right after. Um, and and it's just, yeah, you know, the move just didn't make sense to me at the time, given what you already knew you were getting from Brand. They tra- And meanwhile, they trade that summer to bring back Charles Oakley. I mean, that was another sort of theme of the post Jordan Bulls is like every summer they would bring somebody back. And for this sort of like retirement tour and, you know, the Oakley who threw Scottie Pippen against the whiteboard and was the protector for Michael Jordan. Like, I don't think it was the same Charles Oakley in the early two thousands. And even if he was willing, and I'm sure he was, I've spoken to Vince Carter and Vince, was very complimentary of Oak when Vince first got there in 98-99, you know, and being that sort of mentor. I don't know if high school kids in 2001 were anywhere near the same as Vince Carter coming out of North Carolina in 1998-99. I don't know how ready they were to listen to some guy who was literally old enough to be their dad talk about the glory days. Yeah, and, and you know, Jerry was so excited to get get this rebuild going for so long. Um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, I have to imagine Michael is um, getting a bit of satisfaction from seeing how this is all playing out. Um, their big free agent signings that summer were Eddie Robinson and Kevin Ollie. Um, so 2000, <laughs> 2001... 2002 season this would be tim floyd's last year he's actually fired mid-season and replaced by um another former bull bill cartwright um they go 21 and 61 and you know aside from trading brand at the draft and you know now starting this rebuild around curry and chandler uh mid-season they pretty much clean out the rest of their core uh ron mercer ron artest Brad Miller, along with Ollie, get traded to Indiana for Jalen Rose, Travis Bess, and Norman Richardson. So, you know, at this point, it's really just Curry and Chandler. Yeah, and I mean, Miller and Artest in particular go on to be core pieces and all-stars for the Pacers. You know, Jalen, not a bad pickup for the Bulls. Obviously a guy who can play a bit of a leadership role, but... You know, again, you're kind of what it's like, what's the point? What are you guys trying to do? There was no ever a sense of like, okay, we're moving in an, in a direction, not even we're moving in a positive direction. We're moving in a direction. I don't know. You know, at that point, especially in the early 2000s, you know, fresh off of Jermaine O'Neal getting traded to the Pacers and Tracy McGrady signing with Orlando. The thing about high school players was unless they landed in a perfect situation like a Kobe Bryant or they were insanely competitive and literal once-in-a-lifetime guys like Kevin Garnett, 
you were generally building up high school guys for the next team, which is what made it seem that much crazier about teaming Curry and Chandler. I mean, you were putting them in a situation that was almost guaranteed not to work. I mean, the way it ended up working out was very predictable. The chances of those guys growing into all-stars on Chicago and staying on Chicago for it was just not very high at all. And, you know, judging from a lot of what they did, they didn't have the patience to do it anyway. You know, I, Tim Floyd getting fired, I mean, Jerry Krause chased him for a decade, and he lasts, what, three seasons, four seasons, less than that. If you really thought he was the answer, I mean, wouldn't you find a way to keep him around until you actually get him some players that can maybe win some games? I mean, I feel like once you once you kind of find yourself in that, in that rebuild churn where you're just making trades to make trades and starting over again almost every summer, it just becomes harder and harder to get out of that. Again, see the Knicks post-2010. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, – Tim Floyd's a great point. I mean, I think by all accounts, um, he didn't really bring um, anything to the table during those years, but at the same time, uh, I'm not sure what coach could have gotten them to 25 or 30 wins given the roster and the roster turnover that was happening. And, you know, I think the summer of 2000 in terms of the free agents did set them back a lot, but trading guys like Elton Brand and, you know, including Ron Artest in that trade to Indiana, I mean, those are self-inflicted wounds that uh, I think they didn't have to do. So another losing season, for the Bulls, well, they get past 20 wins this time, so 21 and 61, and they have the second overall pick that summer, and they take Jay Williams. So now the core group is Jay Williams with Curry and Chandler, and you've also got Jamal Crawford, Marcus Pfizer, Danielle Marshall, and Trenton Hassel. I mean, if you look at that, you take a step back and look at that from like when they started rebuilding in '99. It does not feel like much. No, it doesn't. And I mean, Trenton, again, was a great pick. I mean, he was someone they scooped out of the second round out of a small college who ends up being a contributor for them for a decade. And that's the funny part is like the Bulls did make a lot of decent draft picks during this time. Even that summer, they drafted Matt Bonner in the second round and dealt him right away for a future second rounder, but they turned that second rounder into Chris Duhon. So it's like, it's amazing to me that they were able, well, I'm going to sound like Charles Barkley. First of all, they drafted in the second round like the Spurs, but they drafted in the first round very badly. They plucked a lot of good guys deep, but the first round, well, that's not entirely fair because some of it was bad luck. You know, Jay Williams has a really good rookie season and then makes the ultimate mistake of getting on a motorcycle and suffers a career-ending injury. Obviously, the Bulls didn't have much control over that. You know, and then the 2003 draft comes up and you have to draft another point guard. Yeah, that's where they take Kurt Heinrich. And that's the summer that Jay Williams, like you mentioned, gets into a motorcycle accident and his contract is eventually bought out and that ends his career. So towards the end of that 2003 season, um, with a few games left in April, Jerry Krause resigns. So this ends his run with the Bulls. And um, two statements at the time, you know, Krause 
uh, said, quote, the rigors and stress of the job have caused me some minor physical problems in the past few years. Those problems can be eliminated if my lesson, if I lessen my load for a while and concentrate on overcoming them. My first obligation is to accomplish that for my wife, children, and grandchildren. So Kraus ends up going back to, you know, what really is his first love, uh, baseball. Um, you know, he works briefly for the Yankees as a scout, and then he joins the Mets in 2005 and actually went back to um, Reinsdorf's White Sox in 2010 and later on goes on to work um, in the scouting department with the Arizona Diamondbacks before he had to take some time off again. And he passed away in 2017 at the age of 77. And Kraus was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame that year. So Jerry Kraus. You know, obviously, based on what we said, you know, the rebuild did not work out uh, based on the timeline that he wanted. Um, when you look back now at, at the whole body of work with the Bulls, um, obviously, we've talked so much about, you know, what he did um, helping to build those six championships. How would you evaluate that against kind of these final five years with the team as he was trying to rebuild them back into a contender? Man, I mean, I, I think those last years hurt him. You know, I think it's a shame that when he left, there was, again, no real clear path forward. You know, um, some part of me wishes that he had quit in the summer of 98 too. You know, just say like, all right, we're all done here. Clean house entirely. You know, I, does it, I don't know if it really hurt his legacy per se. Obviously, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, which was deserved. You could probably argue him a space in the Baseball Hall of Fame at some point. You know, he did get to go back and do what he wanted to do. I think some at least gave him the credit he deserved. But again, to go back, I mean, I, I think that summer of 2000 was the real failure. You know, you, you do the, the right thing and get one, if not two of those guys that summer, you're set for another decade. And that's when you can walk away. But the fact that he blew that and that they didn't, you know, part of me feels like if they were going to tank another season, they probably should have tanked heading into that 2003 draft. Because I think everyone realized like LeBron is the prize at the end of that. And they end up being slightly too good. You know, it's like you drafted Jay Williams, you win 30 games for the first time literally since the 97-98 season. And you play yourself into a lower lottery pick that turns into Kirk Heinrich. Like... It would, have been, it would have been nice, you know, uh, the old Jerry Krause. You wonder if he could have found a way to trade up for Dwayne Wade, the local kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that draft obviously wasn't just LeBron, right? Could have ended up with Bosch, Mello. I mean, maybe Jerry Krause falls in love with Darko. Um, that, that would be a, that would <laughs> that, be a funny that would have been alternate timeline. Yeah. The Bulls, uh, the Bulls eventually got Wade, and I heard that worked out well. Okay. Um, so to, to wrap up, uh, uh, maybe we can touch on, you know, so Kraus resigns and we, we can touch on what uh, happens next and, and how the Bulls uh, eventually get back to the playoffs. So that summer 2003, uh, another last dance alumni, John Paxson, is hired to replace Kraus. Uh, we mentioned the motorcycle accident with Jay Williams. Uh, we mentioned Kurt Heinrich being their uh, first round pick uh, with the seventh pick. And like you mentioned, the tradition of bringing former Bulls back continues as Scottie Pippen came back as a free agent. So 2003-2004 season, 
there's a lot of Last Dance alumni here. So Bill Cartwright is fired midseason. Pete Myers coaches for two games uh, before they bring in Scott Skiles full-time. Uh, the Bulls finish 23-59. and 59. Heinrich actually makes uh, the all-rookie first team. I mean, for all the talk, I know we talked about, you know, they, you know if they had a higher pick, they might have had a, a, an actual franchise player. But, you know, Heinrich was a really good player for them. Um, he was the right pick where they drafted. Yeah. I mean, they didn't miss on Heinrich. They missed with, you know, not finding a way to move up. Yeah, and at this point, this is when, you know, um, we realize, honestly, that the Chandler and Curry um, experiment you know, isn't going to work. Um, Danielle Marshall and Jalen Rose are traded to the Raptors for Antonio Davis and Jerome Williams. So it's another lost season for them. And then they go into the summer and they draft Ben Gordon um, and Chris Duhon and they sign mm-hmm. Andres Nocioni. Uh, they trade a future first for Luol Dang. And this becomes the core group that eventually will incorporate uh, Derek Rose and Joakim Noah to, to really finally get them back um, into the Eastern Conference Championship. Uh, or at least contender picture. And again, you know, like Gordon, Duhon, Nocioni, and Dang, I mean, that's a great haul out of a summer. It's just that that core wasn't there. You know, you're, you're, if you're looking at all, if you look at all those drafts, and obviously they're where they were picking would change, but if you looked at all that with a Tracy McGrady or a Grant Hill or a Tim Duncan, like it's all different. You know, I mean, I think that's another thing Krauss sort of had to learn the hard way because literally as long as he was with the Bulls, he had Michael Jordan. So his entire job up until the summer of 98 was finding complementary pieces because he already had the superstar. And once he whiffed on the superstar in that summer of 2000, and once they apparently just decided not to get one, you can draft all the complementary pieces you want, but if you don't have that central piece, you're not going anywhere. You know, and they didn't find that central piece until after he left, until after they got Derek. And Derek Rose was obviously a central piece for a long time. I do find it very funny, and I'm sure it wasn't a coincidence that Scottie Pippen came back like three months after Jerry Krause retired. I would bet there was no chance in hell that Scottie Pippen was going to become a bull again while Jerry was still there and maybe vice versa. Do you think, you know, by then Michael had retired again, I believe. Do you think John Paxson or Scottie even tried to get Michael or even tried to message Michael and be like, yo, you want to come back for one season? (laughs) God, I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I think at that point, once he did retire again from the wizards and you know, Abe Pollen sent him packing from his front office job. You know, I, I think that's when he got it in his head that he was going to become ownership. It is interesting to go back, though, to his Hall of Fame speech when he said that, you know, don't be surprised to see me out there when I'm 50. And uh, I don't know. That would have been interesting. A 50-year-old Jordan suiting up for the Bulls would have been fun. So to wrap up then, you know, the 2004-2005 season, the Bulls finally – get back to the playoffs. They actually start that season 0-9 and, and, you know, end up with 47 wins. So, um, and they lose to the Washington Wizards in six games. It'd be two more years until they finally got out of the first round again. So what's our takeaway here, Russ, that rebuilding in the NBA is really hard? (laughs) I think it's really hard. And that if you have an opportunity, you, you just can't miss. 
You know, you have to, especially back then when guys were signing longer term contracts. I mean, that, that was what they should really needed to realize in the summer of 2000 is like, it wasn't like 2010 where it's like, well, you miss a guy a couple of years later, you might've a shot at him again. This was going to be like five or six years. And I think also when they missed out on that class, I think that became like the second layer of the warning sign. You know, it's like, you already had this stigma of like, you broke up this championship team. And now you had this second stigma of, wait, you really wanted to sign a max guy and you couldn't get any of them. That was just going to make it even harder moving forward. Yeah. And you know, the last thought for me is that it's a little bit byproduct of, you know, all the broken relationships that took place while the team was winning the championships. Cause you look at the Lakers now, you know, Magic Johnson is always the guy. I mean, I know he was legitimately working for the team uh, contractually, but, you know, these franchises have guys like a Magic Johnson to, to be in there and to, to recruit guys um, every summer to, to sit in and, you know, have LeBron come to his house. Um, the Bulls had none of those relationships, right? Um, you know, Michael had moved on. You know, Scotty had a pretty bitter run with management. So it wasn't like they had those guys as legacy guys that could vouch um, for the Bulls organization. And, you know, you, you, you brought this up during this episode, you know, the Bulls really operated as if, you know, people would want to come to them like they were the Lakers or, or the Knicks or, or the Celtics. And we've seen, especially in the past few decades that, you know, that allure of playing for those teams and their legacies just don't exist uh, for players anymore. And part of that went into their miscalculation for uh, that 2000. Uh, summer run. So that does it for us for this episode. You can find After the Last Dance on iTunes, Spotify, and any other podcast platforms that you use. Just want to give a shout out to Soul Savvy again for giving us the platform to do this. And we will be back. The sneaker game is tough if you're in it alone. Getting the latest pair of hype sneakers is becoming increasingly difficult these days. As soon as you try to purchase, the shoe is out of stock. If you want to improve your skills, you need to learn the tricks of the trade. Be smart and get equipped with the right tools and information you need to help you cop the sneakers you want. Soul Savvy, the exclusive sneaker community.